Welcome everybody to another Thoughts On. Uh, today I get to talk about something that I think is kind of at the moment more of a fringe topic or a fringe movement, if you will, in the rehab and uh, strength training professions. But I think it's gonna we're going to find over here in the next few years that it's going to actually sort of like migrate towards the, the middle and be a lot more common. And that topic is nasal breathing. So this has been now close to a two-year project, COVID project, if you will. <laughs> Um, I read the the book uh, Breath by James Nestor a couple years ago, uh, and started digging into the Health and Human Performance Foundation, uh, started by, at the very least, Brian McKenzie and a, a good buddy of mine, Dr. Andrew Galpin, um, and you can find them uh, on Instagram at h at hhp foundation. And they do a lot of stuff on on respiration. Now, uh, I was reading the book, and while most of the book deals with you know, improvements in aerobic and metabolic outputs or performance and that kind of a thing. I was sort of interested in it from just um, more of like having to do with with strength training and and stability. And so, you know, pushed by a friend of mine, Dr. Tim Prater, uh, local guy, local chiropractor here in Ohio, I started tinkering with it. And I don't do, I mean, I guess I do lots of fitnessing, you know, uh, lifting weights with an elevated heart rate. Some might call that CrossFit. Um, but I, I do, you know, actually quite a bit of kettlebell stuff. I'm currently training for Sinister, which is a silly kettlebell test uh, from Strong First. And I'm getting, I'm going to take the cl- uh, class and, and get certed, which requires 100 snatches in five minutes. So that's the kind of training that I sort of uh, tend to gravitate towards. And for the last almost two years, I've been applying this nasal respiration thing uh, to, to fitnessing, to the type of strength training that I'm doing. And you know, I would say at this point, without question, I, I think that it is profoundly beneficial uh, to strength training to the end of improving stability. And here's why. What I've noticed is that by keeping my mouth shut and maintaining nasal respiration throughout the entire workout, and I'll get into kind of how to do that and where it becomes challenging here in a second. But by doing this, uh, it makes it much, much easier for me to be able to generate intrapelvic pressure, intra-abdominal pressure. But I say intrapelvic pressure because it makes it incredibly easy for me to generate pressure very, very low in my belly. Actually, I don't want to say belly, in the pelvis. Because that's really, really important for, for optimal stability. Most people tend to, you know, when they think intrapelvic pressure, they kind of push their belly out. When really what we want is pressure driving all the way down into the pelvic floor because to get it all the way down there, you have to have really, really good balance between the abdominal wall and the diaphragm and a really, really good contraction of the diaphragm to actually move the intra-abdominal contents down against the lower belly and the pelvic floor that's going to kind of synchronize all those muscles into a nice little co-contraction. And it's also going to generate pressure that's going to push backwards against you know L4, L5, and the sacrum to create a lot of stability there. So the fact that it becomes easier to do that is quite significant. Another reason why the the ease of the effort is so important is I think that it is incredibly common, pandemic if you will, in the strength training professions to have people over-bracing for everything. So we, we tend to sufficiently brace for what we're doing, whether it's pulling, you know, 400 pounds off the ground or getting out of the car. But a lot of times, especially in, in the strength training world, we're over bracing. You know, you'll see somebody, they go to take like a 95 pound bar off the rack for, you know, just like an easy warm up squat. And they're like, 
you know, big, big breath and tensing. Well, that actually comes with, with some side effects there. It comes with increased um, internal joint forces, more compression of the spine, all kinds of negative things that I don't want to get into today. But the fact that nasal breathing allows you to be able to pressurize and stabilize into that lower pelvis and that belly with less effort um, it has a, has a tremendously positive effect on both the quality of your movement and also on reducing the internal forces acting on the body. Now, it's been effective enough with me that I started, you know, probably a year, year and a half ago, experimenting with it with patients. So I, of course, as many of you know, I teach for DNS. And so a fundamental you know, principle of DNS is getting someone to stabilize and breathe properly. So I, I spend a lot of time with my patients working on proper respiration patterns. And by having them keep their mouth closed and only, you know, breathe in and out through their nose, uh, I've found that it's much, much easier to get them to achieve proper, you know, respiration or stabilization pattern. I had one patient say that it encourages breathing into the lower belly, which I think is a great way to put it. So it's been useful for me from a strength training standpoint. It's been really, really useful for me from a rehabbing standpoint, right? And uh, the the thing now is I'm, I'm not really, I don't know if it's actually possible to breathe and stabilize properly with the mouth open. So I'm aware that we need to open our mouths at times when we're oxygen deficient, but I'm, I'm pretty sure at this point, both on how I feel when I'm training and also how my, my patients are functioning, that if you open your mouth, the moment you open your mouth for respiration, I think you kind of are starting to activate a compensatory accessory breathing pattern, which is not what we want. We want to be able to maintain optimal stabilization um, with as little effort as possible in all the environments that we need to do it. Now, that's not always easy in sports, as I'll get into here in a little in a second, but that's the goal. And so I, at this point, you know, I don't know where I'll be in, in one year or two years or five years, but at this point, I believe that nasal respiration is actually necessary for optimal stabilization patterns. Now let's talk about application. Uh, this takes some practice, to, to say the least. When you first started, it's actually quite awkward and challenging. And so you have to really put yourself in an environment where you can start practicing this. I have been working on breathing for you know over a decade now. So for me, breathing into my lower abdomen and all that kind of stuff that's, that's equally important, uh, I had already sort of gotten that down. So if you don't have that down, you need to start practicing effortlessly breathing into your, you know, your lower abdomen in different positions and being able to maintain a low but perceivable amount of intra-abdominal pressure on both the, the breath in and the breath out. Okay, so if you don't have those, you got to work on that first. You can't start stressing it or challenging the pattern there until you have the pattern down. Once you learn how to breathe properly, now you can start practicing breathing in and out through your nose, but you can start challenging that. And there's two main ways that you can challenge it. One is you can challenge it with an increased respiratory demand, like you have to breathe harder. And the other one is that you have to actually... Uh, brace harder, but it's not necessarily bracing harder. It's actually quickly bracing. So for me, the easiest example is, is, a, is the impulse of a kettlebell swing that I'll get to here in a second. So when you learn how to breathe in and out through your nose and maintain varying degrees, when you breathe in, the pressure goes up. When you breathe out, the pressure goes down a little bit, but you should be able to maintain 
a perceivable amount of intra-abdominal pressure, which is what I called loaded respiration, with exclusively nasal breathing, then you can start challenging it. The easiest way to start challenging it is at first, you can start doing, if we're going to talk about the, the respiratory demand, you can start doing just steady state work, you know, on the assault bike, you know, cycling, walking, you know, whatever you want. I don't think running, it would be all that easy, but, you know, steady state stuff where you can just keep the heart rate, you know, in low aerobic zone and then just practice for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes doing the entire workout, maintaining nasal breathing the entire time. That will be very, very challenging for many of you, even in your low aerobic zone. Now, as you keep getting better at it, what you can do is actually increase, you know, the aerobic zone that you're exercising and you're sustaining all the way up to almost your anaerobic threshold. Because even though I'm trying to keep my mouth closed throughout the entire workout, no matter how hard I'm working, it becomes incredibly challenging when you break your anaerobic threshold. You know, so for me, I do a lot of workouts that I'm going between kettlebell swings and then longer bike intervals. So three, five minute bike intervals. And by the end of these bike intervals, oftentimes my heart rate is in the 170s. And it is incredibly challenging to maintain nasal breathing while I'm doing that. That's taken me a couple years to kind of work up to that. So, you know, give yourself some grace here in the beginning. Stay in the low aerobic zone and then just work on just hammering out more and more time in that low aerobic zone, working on keeping the mouth closed, so lips closed, teeth apart, and just breathing in and out through the nose. You can do longer interval stuff like I just suggested, um, and that's kind of how you would start tinkering with that increased you know, heart rate or increased um, respiratory demand or metabolic output. They're all kind of related, but whatever you want to do, um, as you start to breathe harder, the need to breathe goes up, it becomes a lot more challenging. So that's how you would do that. On the the bracing side, so one is, is challenged by a respiratory demand. The other one is challenged by a, a need to brace. There's really two things that you have to do. There's the impulse, and then there's sustained intra-abdominal pressure. So let me deal with the sustained intra-abdominal pressure one first because that's a little bit easier. That's essentially when you're doing heavy loaded respiration. So the, the magnitude or the intensity of the brace that you have to hold is very, very high. The higher the, the brace, the, the higher the intensity of the brace, the more challenging it is to breathe. So you can start working on this by doing, I would suggest, unilateral carries. So suitcase carries, waiter carries, front rack kettlebell or overhead carries. You could do six position carries, even longer ones. So I do 15, 20, 30, 40, you know, 60 minute carries. And those are going to be with a lower heart rate output, depending on the weight, I guess. But I would suggest doing a lower output. But now the brace is going to be a lot higher. And the bracing is basically stiffening your spine. So stiffening your spine is increasing the amount of resistance necessary to bend it, okay? And the higher the stiffness of the spine, if you're stabilizing correctly, the more pressure you're maintaining in your abdomen. The higher the pressure on your abdomen, um, the harder it is to actually breathe. So it, at a maximum brace, full stiffness or full rigidity, you can't breathe. Right? Think of this as like your, your mid-shin on a one rep max. You know, you're shaking to pull that up. If you were to somehow take a breath in, you would lose the pressure, lose the spinal stiffness, and probably lose some discs in your back. So if you want to practice nasal breathing in terms of the stability part, the sustained 
um, loaded respiration, I think carries are a great way to do that. And now for the, the more challenging part of the story, which is an impulse. Uh, for, so for me, that's going to be kettlebell swings, but that could also be, you know, coming quickly out of the hole of a squat or, or a, a snatch in Olympic weightlifting or cleans or whatever. But the impulse is really, really hard. And if you think about something like kettlebell swings, so I'm trying to do 100 kettlebell swings in five minutes, um, but with a, a 48 kilo, 105 kilo bell. So that requires not only a high heart rate, like my heart rate right now, and I'm only up to a 40 kilo bell, gets into the the mid 160s, and I have to be impulsing the bell because it's a heavy, heavy bell. So that becomes really, really challenging. The impulse part of it, uh, it plays in because with a really good kettlebell swing, you need time to just relax the muscles and breathe. That's that float phase. You know, when the bell's up by, by chest and head level, you just need to relax, take a breath in, and then you increase that brace, and then ba-boom, you're going to hit that impulse there so that you can actually generate enough spinal stiffness and maintain optimal positioning of your torso so you don't lose, number one, the speed of the bell, so you're able to get it back up to, to chest or face level again, and number two, you're actually going to protect your spine. So that quick brace right there, that impulse is actually really, really challenging to work on. What I would do in that case is I would actually have you um, slowly increase the speed. So you might start with doing, you know, uh, an RDL and where you, you did the carries, right? And then you're going to go to like an RDL and then you can start doing a swing without an impulse. So it's just kind of like this slow swing there. And then you can start adding a progressively faster impulse. That's one thing that you can work on. The other one that you can work on is start adding a little load. And that's another way to really crank up the intensity of the impulse. So if you start off with a, a 16 kilo bell, then eventually you work up to whatever bell you want to work up to, it's going to become increasingly more challenging. Now, when you combine the two of them together, as I am with the snatch tests and the kettlebell and uh, the test for sinister, it becomes incredibly hard because now when I'm doing my 100 bell swings, single arm bell swings with a 48 kilo bell, my heart rate is probably going to be in the upper 160s, lower 170s, you know, right at or above anaerobic threshold. And the, and the intensity of the brace for the impulse is going to be really, really high. So those are really challenging things to do. Um, but I think that they are going to have a profound effect on the results that you're getting both in the clinic and also in the weight room. So uh, do me a favor, follow HHP Foundation on Instagram and give that a try. See ya.